0: This is Lawyer to Lawyer with Jake Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to our program, Lawyer to Lawyer. This is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. Uh, my, my better half on this program, uh, J. Craig Williams, who normally co-hosts, is is away this week traveling, so uh, he will not be here, and I will be flying solo this week. Uh, we are going to talk this week uh, about eDiscovery. We've had uh, uh, programs in the past about this, um, and if you've been to uh, any of the recent legal technology trade shows, uh, there can be no doubt in your mind that e-discovery is uh, very much a hot topic within the legal profession and something that everybody is talking about. Um, What we're going to do today is talk a little bit about some of the uh, misconceptions uh, lawyers have about uh, e-discovery, and uh, to explore those, we have two guests who know quite a bit about these topics, uh, and let me bring them in, and let's get going with the discussion. First of all, I'd like to welcome our first guest, uh, Stephen Whetstone. Steve uh, is the Vice President of Client Development and Strategy for uh, Stratify, one of the largest providers of e-discovery services. Uh, Steve is located here in the Boston area, near where I am. Uh, he is responsible for expanding Stratify's client and partner relationships and honing the company's strategic position in the competitive legal market. Steve uh, is an attorney was a former litigation partner at uh, Testa, Hurwitz & Tebow, a, a former uh, fairly large firm here in the Boston area. And, uh, earlier in his career was with, uh, was an associate at SCAD and ARPS. Over the years, he's represented clients in securities class actions, government and internal investigations, patent and intellectual property matters, and other complex commercial litigation that's, uh, of course, turned on ele- electronic data and discovery. Steve is also a, a frequent speaker and author on electronic data and discovery matters, uh, and, uh, Often appears at legal technology conferences and even speaking at law firms on the subject. So, welcome to the show, Steve.
2: Thank you, Bob. It's good to be here.
1: And also joining us uh, as a return guest on Lawyer to Lawyer is Craig Ball. Uh, Craig is a trial attorney and computer forensics examiner. He's a prolific contributor to continuing legal education and professional education programs throughout the United States. Craig's articles on forensic technology and electronic discovery frequently appear in the national media, and he also writes a monthly column on computer forensics and e-discovery for Law Technology News, the American Lawyer Media Legal Technology publication, uh, which is called Ball in Your Court, Uh, and he received the 2006 silver medal recognition from the American Society of Business Publication editors for that column. Craig recently wrote an article Microsoft brings an altered Vista to EDD for Law Technology News. Welcome to the show Craig.
3: Thank you Bob, thanks for having me on again.
1: Welcome back. Um Steve, let me just start with you and ask you uh if you could tell me a little bit about Stratify, uh the company and and what your role is there.
2: Uh, sure, thanks Bob. Yes, yeah, Stratify, as you mentioned at the outset, is uh, one of the um, a growing number of companies that is uh, in the space of uh, attempting to provide lawyers and their clients their corporate clients typically with assistance in handling um, the ever-growing uh, population of electronic data and discovery issues. So what we do is we are what's called a web-hosted solution, um, which means that uh, law firms and their clients um, deliver data to us for us to work our magic on it. And what we do, which is uh, a differentiator from perhaps some of the other companies that uh, have been in the space uh, longer than we, is we actually will take data, uh, load it through our system, and uh, automatically organize it uh, into subject matters, uh, subject matter sets, so that when lawyers arrive to the review site, and they can do that from their office or from their home, or if they're taking depositions out on the road from hotels, they actually arrive to a data universe that has been arranged um, to varying degrees by topic or subject matter. And that gives lawyers uh, a head start, if you will, in trying to make sense out of what they have. It allows them to know what they have uh, from the beginning, and then they can begin to laser focus in through traditional review and analysis techniques. So that's what we do. Um, we, have, uh, we work with uh, most of the AMLAW 50 and, and uh, a large chunk of the AMLAW 100 and um, we're growing very rapidly.
1: What's the, I mean, you say it's web-hosted. What are the advantages of, of using a, a web-hosted uh, e-discovery solution such as that?
2: Well, um, I think I um, embedded in my uh, first comment was one of them, which is you can access it from uh, virtually anywhere, uh, and it also allows uh, numerous users to access uh, the review site simultaneously. Also, because it is our platform, um, we are, uh, we developed it, we are constantly updating it and improving it, uh, so it's very powerful. Uh, we are able to uh, process uh, in the course of a night uh, millions of pages of documents, and uh, we've uh, handled matters that have had as many as 450 attorneys at a time uh, reviewing data on a single site, and we have multiple matters at any given time. So it's very robust, very scalable, and in some ways really takes the headache away from law firms and the companies in having to deal with uh, internal software solutions for reviewing electronic data.
1: All right. Well, Craig, let me give you some equal time here and uh, just ask you to tell me a little bit about your own work uh, in the area of computer forensics and e-discovery.
3: Certainly, Bob. Most of my work, the vast majority of it, is no longer as an attorney in court but as a consultant or more likely a special master appointed by the court to serve often as a neutral examiner or to, uh, from a middle ground, coordinate the many problems that crop up in electronic discovery. Sometimes when there's sensitive information on both sides, the courts bring me in to be able to look at information without compromising the legitimate interests, both in terms of privilege and confidential information, that each side has with respect to the review by the other. So special master, computer forensic examiner, and Uh, pundit, I guess. I spend a lot of my time trying to preach the gospel at the intersection of Technology Lane and Law Street on my soapbox.
1: An E-Technology pundit, that's a a good title to have.
3: Yes, there's not much money in it, but I do like it.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, let me ask uh, our topic today, of course, is is to talk about some of the, the misconceptions. And, and I have uh, a number of them I'd like to talk to, but I'd like to kind of throw it open to, to the two of you first to, and ask, and, and let me start with you, Steve. Uh, what, what is one of the most common misconceptions that you encounter among uh, legal professionals regarding e-discovery?
2: Well, it's interesting. Uh, there are many, uh, so I will uh, just start with one. Um, and, and I guess uh, the first one that comes to mind is that, uh, that the new rules uh, mandate that uh, in all matters um, electronic data must be looked at, must be dealt with, um, and, and I think that that's caused a lot of alarm in the legal community. Um, what the new rules, the new federal rules um, to which I'm referring are, d- are designed to do is actually put in place some ground rules and some guidelines for how to handle Uh, electronically stored information uh, in the business. Craig and I may refer to it as ESI from time to time. But try to put in place some guidelines uh, on how to handle ESI and and whether it needs to be addressed and under what circumstances. But often I get asked a question from law firms, tell me what the new rules do with respect to imposing um, obligations to preserve data Uh, or tell me what we need to do to comply as a company with the new rules um, of civil procedure? And the answer is, um, you're asking the wrong question. The rules don't require you to do that. Again, they're, uh, like the old rules, they're intended to be guidelines uh, by which litigators and their parties are to conduct themselves in the course of litigation, and much of that is largely still left to the parties to work out. If there is not agreement between the parties and counsel, then the court will uh, be asked to make a ruling. But um, much of... uh, of The terrain is still open, if you will, for lawyers, uh, even in, in the wake of the uh, adoption of the new rules. There are still many, many open questions, and the rules don't address them all.
1: Well, I mean, certainly the rules may not mandate uh, uh, some of uh, what people uh, think they mandate, but don't, don't they almost on a de facto basis mandate this? I mean, because uh, so much uh, information exists in electronic form now, uh, e-discovery almost uh, of necessity becomes an element of of, of most uh, significant litigation, and and in, in a way, doesn't that make the the, the e-discovery rules uh, certainly a, a mandatory consideration in in every case?
2: Well, I, I'll take the first shot at that, and Craig certainly may want to chime in.
0: Uh,
2: yeah, I I don't mean to suggest that um, litigators uh, or their clients should ignore the rules and and. Um, approach any matter thinking that they do not apply, but simply because they exist and been adopted does not necessarily mean that they will apply or or apply in uh, a serious measure in the course of every litigation. There's still a number of litigations that I think will proceed where... Uh, either the bare minimum needs to be done uh, to deal with electronic data and discovery, or again, the parties may simply work it out uh, between them, and litigators may work it out between them, that um, this is not going to be a case that requires um, massive exploration of electronic data and discovery. Now, again, I say that against the backdrop of of these new rules having been adopted, and um, there being fairly serious consequences if you don't um, do what's right by preserving data in the first instance when the duty to preserve arises and have your ducks lined up in a row. But I don't think, and I, I certainly I know this from day-to-day experience and talking with my former colleagues and talking with prospects, that every matter uh, that's uh, pending or will that will be filed will be an e-discovery matter. I, I just don't think we're there yet.
1: Yeah, Craig, what's your take on that?
2: I'm, I'm afraid I, I go a little
3: bit to the other side, and I would say categorically, although the rules have drawn a bright line around the duty, the duty has existed outside of the rules for quite some time, and it's simply this. Everyone is obliged to preserve, and when requested, ultimately produce relevant evidence. And if that relevant evidence takes the form of electronically stored information, then categorically you must consider and preserve potentially relevant electronically stored information in every case. Now, as Steve rightly points out, not every automobile collision case is going to entail a large volume of electronic information, but historically, going on several decades since the rules originally considered electronic data compilations and made them a part of the definition of discoverable documents we 've kept our heads in the sand as lawyers, with regard to electronic information and I, I raised sort of the the classic this can 't be an electronic discovery case, the intersectional collision, yet if you consider that modern automobiles and their um, airbag computers are tracking the speed and the braking activity of the vehicles for five seconds before the collision, each of us needs to become, A, aware of what electronic information exists, and B, aware of how to preserve it properly when it's potentially relevant.
1: So is it fair to say that although it's it's not mandated in every case, uh, it's essential in every case to to consider it and ask about it and think about it?
3: I would say absolutely yes. You've got to consider what may be out there, and if you identify what may be out there that's potentially relevant. doesn't mean you go out and image every computer and lock down every BlackBerry by any means. We don't get crazy about this, but you've got to have it as part of your deliberative process as a lawyer and impose it upon your clients, that they can't just look to the paper. They've got to consider the way they do business, the way they conduct their activities, and if electronic evidence is a... Component of that, they have to have a appropriate ways to preserve and ultimately process and produce that electronic evidence.
1: All right, let me just, Craig, uh, ask you uh, uh, what you've seen as as uh, perhaps the most common uh, misconception about e discovery.
3: I'm like I'm like Steve. It's it's where do I begin? Um, <laughs> misconceptions like, well, we can wait to see whether we get sued to deal with preservation or. We can wing it, or our clients' IT people must know this stuff, and we can rely on them. Or perhaps a common one: it's a big company problem; it's not the mom and pop or the mid-sized business problem, because it's a David versus Goliath situation. Or all I need to know is turn it to TIFF. Or all I need to know is save it in native. the The biggest misconception that I see out there is that we don't really have to learn it all that much, that we're going to get some kind of quick checklist or some shortcut answer that's going to get us through. And I I think I most want to disabuse my colleagues uh, that, yeah, we do. The lawyers are going to be the people negotiating issues at meet-and-confer sessions, and we're going to have to become conversant, at least minimally conversant, in what forms data takes how it's preserved, what the risks are in terms of its destruction, and how we go about searching it and then producing it in responsible and effective
2: ways. Bob, may I make a quick point? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so actually probably two quick points. One is um, I, I just want to pick up on Craig's prior comment, which is I completely agree with him that uh, in the wake of the new rules, uh, people need to be thinking about them and be mindful to make certain that they've done what they, they need to do. Um, Uh, to guard against um, uh, any potential allegations that um, they've been in violation of some obligations they have Uh, with respect to producing electronic data and and knowing what they have. The comment I was really trying to get at earlier, and I think Craig said it more eloquently than I did, which is that the common law duty to preserve this information has existed for a long time prior to adoption of the rules. So the misconception I was getting at a moment ago was that these new rules somehow have newly created a duty to preserve electronic data or hard copy data where it didn't exist previously, and that's a myth. That duty existed before these rules were adopted, and the rules themselves... Uh, actually, say nothing about that obligation to preserve. There's comments in the notes about it, but the rules themselves don't even get at that. So, I wanted to clarify the prior point I was trying to make. Um, actually, I, in
3: the in the in the in the, the meet and confer uh, rule, um, it's the first time that the word preservation has ever crept into the rules.
2: He's right. That's right. So, and then the the other thing I wanted to point out, I, I think another misconception that uh, that we encounter a lot is that even as the lawyers begin to wake up and uh, realize that they have to, in some way, deal with electronic data and discovery. And, in fact, in those cases where it's, it's front and center, I think then they imagine, well, okay, now that we know we need to deal with it, let me just turn it over to uh, whether it's a Craig Ball or Stratify, and it'll be easy. It'll be just a matter of uh, pressing a few buttons, and, and they'll be able to take care of it all for us. And that's where there's this great divide between lawyers and technology. Um, we handle matters at our company where data is collected in multiple foreign countries, uh, different types of file uh, programs, applications. And you see here in the United States, the way in which it's collected will impact on the ability to even look at it and make sense out of it. And also you all constantly have the challenge of volume and throughput. And I think that lawyers um, continue to, most lawyers, I mean there are some out there that get it, but a lot of lawyers simply uh, cannot get their head around the sheer volume of data that they are collecting and how to get through it um, quick enough. And I think they think it's easier said than done.
3: I appreciate your presenting me as an alternative to Stratify, but let me be the first to acknowledge that I am Cletus rocking on the front porch compared to the skills and resources (laughs) that a company like yours can bring to the effort.
1: Well, but that raises a related question, which is, uh, I mean, it seems to me that when I hear attorneys talk about e-discovery, the next sentence starts talking about cost and the concern about the cost of e-discovery and the cost that this will add to litigation. Steve, what are you telling law firms about that? What, what's, what's, what's the uh, true impact on the, on the cost of litigation of all of this? Well,
2: well it certainly is expensive. Uh, I mean, electronic data, the sheer propagation of, of the, the volumes of documents or, or files that lawyers now need to uh, consider uh, certainly has a multiplier effect. But when you look at uh, where the, the costs or how they're distributed in the course of an electronic data and discovery review, the Uh, bulk of those costs are going to be the human uh, review costs, the the amount of time spent um, by outside counsel on an hourly rate to go through click-by-click or document-by-document through massive volumes of data. So it strikes me that the challenge is to figure out either um, in real time as files are being created by companies, is there a way to manage down the amount of data that's kept inside a company? And that's a huge challenge, but it's clearly an area where um, you know, lots of people are looking at it and trying to figure out how to solve uh, that problem. Uh, but even after that, it's once the data has been collected, is there a way to reduce or call down what needs to be looked at? And once you have done that and you're looking at uh, some uh, collected data universe through a system like ours, um, is there a way to make sense out of it more quickly? Can technology in some way aid that review by um, you know putting like documents together, for example, which would allow you to get through it more efficiently, the real challenge at the end of the day in terms of cost is driving down the amount of time spent reviewing the data
1: so yes, there is cost, but there are efficiencies to be sought and achieved that's the hope yeah uh, Craig I, n- I know you've written recently about uh, the potential impact of of, uh, of the new uh, Vista operating system uh, on eDiscovery. Uh, could you just uh, synopsize your thoughts on that for us, and, and tell us what your what you're thinking is?
3: Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, Vista is one of those things where we're pretty we're pretty not paying that much attention to it at the moment because a fair number of, of businesses, at least, are going to take a wait and see attitude before its adoption. But in terms of electronic discovery, and, and particularly in terms of the forensic side of it, the ability to get back information or the challenges to the preservation of information, there are a couple of new features in Vista that I, I think can significantly impact it. One that has been raised, which is probably not as big a problem as some think, is something called BitLocker. And this is Microsoft's attempt to harden the security associated with information, particularly against the loss of a laptop. Nowadays if a computer forensic examiner gets a hold of a computer, they can pull out the drive, they can pop it into another machine and using specialized tools and operating systems, they can get to the data and lay it open just like, you know, it's all there. But currently Vista's move in its highest end iteration, its enterprise and its ultimate editions, it's going to support uh, several different kinds of encryption and that will include linking the hard drive to a special chip that will be on the motherboard of the computer called a trusted platform module. And without getting into the technical gobbledygook, what it means is that it's going to be a lot harder to preserve information that is encrypted under this BitLocker system than the usual let's go ahead, pull it out, image it, or swap the drive. Because now, if you take the drive away from the computer, if you don't have the USB key, if that was implemented, if you don't have the same tpm trusted platform module chip on the board you're using you'll never be able to read that data and this is going to frustrate law enforcement investigation. it's going to frustrate civil investigations and so it's going to require some new preservation techniques you may actually require uh, sequestration of the computer keeping it on, not pulling the plug and so forth but in other ways too, VISTA is going to impact the amount of information available to us Nowadays, we know that when information is deleted, it may or may not be gone. But with Vista, the implementation of certain new technologies or, or making these technologies turned on by default, for example, one called Shadow Copy, another called Transactional NTFS or TXF, it'll, it'll mean that you have a whole lot greater ability to unspool or to roll back information that the user thought was long gone and get back not only to what the user did, but information that isn't supposed to be there. And because this information is now going to be as accessible in many ways as what we have on the computers, by the standards imposed by the new rules, which set a bar based on inaccessibility or accessibility of the data, this accessible data is going to add a significant greater volume, and the last thing we need in need discovery is a lot more volume to contend with.
1: We need to take a, a short break at this point. Uh, we will return in just a moment uh, with further discussion and uh, final thoughts from our guests.
0: We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog may It pleased the court, and Robert Ambroji's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email.
1: If you have a comment or question we want to hear from you, leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show.
0: Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com.
1: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, J. Craig Williams, is away this week. I'd like to welcome back our guest, Steve Whetstone, who's a lawyer and the vice president of client development and strategy for the e-discovery company, Stratify. And he's joining us from that company's Boston office and attorney Craig Ball, who's a trial lawyer and computer uh, forensic examiner and e discovery consultant, and he's joining us from his office in Austin, Texas. Uh, Steve, we've uh, we're we're running short on time already, and we've only touched on a, on a few of the misconceptions about e discovery. But let me ask you, uh, what? what can attorneys be doing and law firms be doing to, to break through the misconceptions? I mean, what could they be doing to educate themselves and make sure they're up to speed and what they need to know about e-discovery?
2: Well, again, uh, <laughs> right under some time constraints here, but, but, but I, but I think question,
1: it, small answer.
2: Yes. Right. Um, well, I, I think one of the things that they need to do is is make certain that um, they're, they're open to new approaches for dealing with these new problems uh, that are presented by the, uh, the volumes and the variety of electronic data uh, formats that are now fair game. Um, you know, traditional approaches, and I think lawyers are guilty of, of um, old habits dying hard, um, are just not going to cut it anymore, as I was saying earlier. So the idea of treating electronic files as if they're paper files, uh, paper documents, and and simply thinking that it's just a matter of throwing more bodies at the problem isn't going to do it anymore. Um, The courts are not going to extend the discovery timetables and deadlines uh, by 5, 10, 20-fold to uh, square up with and correspond to the increase in the volumes of electronic data. And so what has to happen is there's got to be greater efficiencies. And so what I think that means is that law firms need to think more strategically about the types of approaches they take to reviewing data. And again, rather than approaching uh, data linearly the way that they might boxes of documents sitting in a conference room, they need to think about other ways to more intelligently make sense out of what they have. Um, it's, the only, it's really the only hope I, I see for law firms going forward. So they need to be open to new approaches. Um, and um, by all means, they need to bone up on the uh, new rules of uh, civil procedure and really guard against, uh, I will say this, I think if you read the case law and look at the the more infamous decisions in which companies have found themselves um, sanctioned for one reason or another, it's really been more a function of failing to preserve data in the first instance and having the right kinds of procedures in place in the clear of day as opposed to reasonable disputes uh, about what should or shouldn't be produced um, after everything's been properly preserved. It's really been the former, the failure to preserve in the first instance, as opposed to uh, turning over the right uh, documents along the way and, and the right kind of timetable. So uh, I think it's important that they understand their obligations under the new rules.
1: And, Craig, uh, any thoughts from you on uh, how uh, what law firms and lawyers can be doing to Uh, break through the misconceptions and and, uh, uh, achieve a better understanding of of what the obligations and responsibilities are for e-discovery.
3: I think Steve nailed it as well as it could have been nailed, to be honest with you, so I don't want to gild the lily. The, The point is learning to use the new tools for a while. It's going to be necessary for lawyers to bring in experts and consultants and vendors. They need to use those opportunities, often being acquired at the client's expense, to bleed dry, to do a brain dump as much as possible, to use those opportunities to learn these tools, their capabilities, and their limitations. Because as each engagement comes forward and you learn more, you will need less and less to rely upon an intermediary to get to the evidence. And the goal needs to be getting the lawyers back in direct touch with their evidence in the cases.
1: All right. We have just a few moments left. I, I did want to give you just an opportunity to wrap up with final thoughts. Steve, I, I know your company is on the web at stratify.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-F-Y. Uh, but uh, let us uh, let us know how our listeners can, can uh, get in touch with you if they want to follow up and also uh, share any final thoughts you have on this topic.
2: Sure. Well, in addition to uh, checking out our website, uh, I'd be happy to have people uh, get in touch with me by email. I, I may uh, <laughs> live to regret the uh, the invitation, but nonetheless, uh, I'll give my email address out publicly, and that's s. Whetstone, w-h-e-t-s-t-o-n-e at stratified.com, um, and I'd be happy to um, um, you know hear from people and uh, give them any uh, further uh, guidance that I can, and tell them more about what we do. Uh, and in terms of final thoughts uh, on this, I, I, I you know, think it's important that um, lawyers continue the dialogue that uh, a program like yours, Bob, is uh, provoking. Uh, you know, People like Craig and me, we speak around the country. What's I, I uh, very interesting to me is just a, a few years ago I might go, have had one or two engagements in the course of a month in terms of speaking inside a law firm. Now it's up to one or two or three a week. And so it's just important to keep the dialogue going.
1: And I understand you and you and Craig are sometimes crossing paths on, on the speaking circuit. We probably, we probably pass this.
2: one another in a, uh, an airport terminal somewhere in the country uh, <laughs> yeah. every month,
1: wh- Craig, whether course, we know it or not. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm going to have to buy you a cup of coffee or a beer somewhere in there.
1: <laughs> okay. And Craig, of course, you're at craigball.com, and, and uh, tell our, our listeners how they can get in touch with you and, and uh, share any final thoughts you have.
3: Well, I, I do hope that people will stop by craigball.com, not for my self-aggrandizement, but because I do put a whole lot of very accessible and free materials on there I, I write a lot and you know to the extent you can glean anything useful I think you'll find that it uh, my, the theme of my work tends to be for lawyers who can't set the clock on their VCRs for those who remember VCRs um, let me just re- recommend for, for those who would um, take a look at my uh, monthly column in law technology news which they can read uh, currently and in back issues at lawtechnews.com And let me credit also um, an an article that I commend to people at LLRX.com written by Conrad Jacoby, an attorney who published this really just about 10 days ago, an article right on point with what we've been talking called Separating E-Discovery Myths from Reality.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, Craig. It's a great great article uh, and uh, uh, commend our listeners to read that as well. Well, let me thank uh, both of you for taking the time uh, and sharing your expertise and knowledge in this. Uh, Steve Whetstone, Craig Ball, thanks for being on the show, and it's been a pleasure talking to you.
2: Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, Bob.
1: And uh, we'll be back next week uh, with another edition of Lawyer to Lawyer.
0: Thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again. And check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com.
1: The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing
2: Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sokolakis